Welcome back to the Learning to Change podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Emler, and I'm about to take you on a no-holds-barred journey through the landscape of learning and change. In this series, Off the Cuff, Rants on Learning, I'm ditching the script and speaking straight from the heart. Each of the Off the Cuff rants will involve me diving into the deep end of my thoughts, unfiltered and unrestrained. Yeah, I'm nervous too. This is where passion meets perspective, where years of insights boil over into raw, unscripted dialogue. When these off-the-cuff rants will show up in your feed is still a mystery, but they will show up. Expect emotions to run high and sacred cows to be challenged. I'll be tackling the topics that keep me up at night, the concepts that need unpacking, and the uncomfortable truths we need to confront. This isn't about getting it perfect on the first take. It's about starting the conversation, shaking the foundations, and sometimes setting the record straight in the aftermath. So brace yourself for a series of spontaneous soliloquies. Wow, I've always wanted to use that word ever since I taught the concept of soliloquy in Romeo and Juliet to my freshman English students. Anyway, I digress. So brace yourself for a series of spontaneous soliloquies crafted through years of dedication to the art of learning. We're about to look at old problems through a new lens, and I invite you to join me on this journey of reflection, critique, and change. Let's get ready to rant, reflect, and revolutionize our understanding. This is Learning to Change Off the Cuff where every rant is a step towards a new perspective. Let's begin. Hey, hey, I'm coming to you today after working with several different organizations on their multi-level systems of support trainings. And I have been studying MLSS models for at least three different projects in the last few weeks. And I have to talk about this because if I don't talk about it, I'm going to lose my mind. But what is coming up over and over and over again requires me to take us back to the 2005-2006 era when I first started being introduced to response to intervention. Now, response to intervention came to our schools with the greatest of intentions, and it was intended for us to identify the students who might need a little extra support, provide that extra support, and continue moving on about our day. The challenge was that as we spent more time on we spent more time on RTI and learning about RTI and establishing systems around RTI. What happened was we were using screeners to identify students. And we were saying that 80% of our students should be at tier one. And that meant, you know, 15% of our students would be at that tier two level needing supports. And what that meant for us is that we use the screeners to identify 15% of the students. And then we placed those 15% of students on tier two. And then the other two to 3% who were significantly in need of supports, we put those students at tier three. So we were constantly placing students 
in the tears. And that's what our training was asking us to do. The challenge with that is that RTI became another mechanism of sorting students. We have lots of ways that we sort students in education, but RTI became another system that would support us in in sorting students. And so, you know, time went on and in about 2014 and 2015, even 2016, research started to come out that started to express that the RTI systems that we had put into place and spent countless hours putting these RTI systems in place. But what we were learning from the research is that RTI was not moving the needle for any of our students. Now, there's lots of reasons why the needle isn't moving, and we can talk about that in another day. But ultimately, the research wasn't looking too kindly on RTI. And so that led people in the field back to the drawing board to recreate and sort of reimagine the RTI systems. And with that came the renaming of the RTI system. And that is when people in various organizations started to label RTI as multi-level systems of support. And then Uh, Fast forward a few years when equity became a significant need in most places, we added an E in front of it in some places. And so it became equitable, multiple levels, systems of support. And so there's lots of, you know, different ways to look at multi-level systems of support. But ultimately, what I'm finding in the work that I'm doing to review different systems and to plan different professional learning opportunities and to think about the impact that MLSS is having is maddening, actually, because I don't think that there's been any advancement in anything other than our language, because I don't see the advancement happening in our practice. So sure, we have different images to represent the multi-level systems of support. We are seeing fewer triangles to represent various tiers. We are starting to see more circles and um, what do you call those circles uh, inter- where there's a circle and a c- concentric circles. Sorry, You're, we're starting to see more concentric circles uh, where there's, you know, universal supports and then there's, you know, intervention systems, et cetera. So we're, we're starting to see change in vocabulary and change in uh, the imagery that represents this multi-level systems of support, which is great. The problem is, is we're still sorting kids and we need to stop doing that. And that's really hard to talk about because uh, the work is going to require us to really examine what we have available for supports instead of which students need supports. Because for so long, we've been determining which students need supports, but we haven't actually analyzed or considered what supports they need. And I find that really funny because we know they need supports, but we don't always know what supports they need. And so we just put them in a tier and potentially the research behind RTI wasn't working because we didn't have the proper supports where the supports needed to be. So I want to spend some time talking about how ridiculous it is to have tiers, but 
still be thinking about which students are at these tiers without really considering what supports are at tiers. So again, I'm trying to emphasize the point that tiers should be defined by what supports are available at each tier, not defined by which students are going to be in each tier. So the best analogy that I could come up with um, for this, because in education, typically we're used to having three tiers. Tier one is the universal tier. Everybody is there. Again, notice how we think about tiers as connected to people. And tier two is, you know, that smaller percentage of just those who need supports. And tier three is an even smaller percentage of students who need support. But when I make this analogy to hospital trauma centers with varying levels, so there's a level five trauma center and there's a level one trauma center, the trauma centers have varying levels of supports. And that is how they are distinguished as a level one trauma center or a level five trauma center. Hospitals don't wait to see who will show up to determine what supports are available at the hospital. But when a patient shows up, they know if they have the support that that patient potentially needs. And if they don't, they have a communication system outlined so that they stabilize the patient and are able to move the patient into the trauma level that they need. And so I think it's just fascinating that schools are creating tiers of supports, but we are not identifying what supports are at each level. We are also not thinking about all of the things that we've purchased for all of the different interventions through the years. And we are just letting those things sort of sit there because we aren't necessarily sure who to use them with or what the intervention actually accomplishes. So I'm suggesting that we take an inventory of the supports that we have in our systems already that we've used for various students for various reasons, but we identify the supports and we put the supports at each level. So we know what is available at each level. So then when a student needs a support, we know what level of support they need based on what they need. It's really a novel concept, but I think the most important piece is to recognize that supports go in the levels, not students. So the other thing that is the other thing that makes the analogy to the healthcare situation work is that there is success criteria used to determine when a support is no longer needed. There is success criteria that determines when a person can leave the ICU. There's additional success criteria used to determine when a patient can leave the hospital. But for us in education, the success criteria to move between tiers seems undefined. And a lot of the reason it is undefined is likely because the supports at each level are undefined. And so we just continue to provide support to a student. And potentially the support isn't even the support that the student needs, and therefore success criteria cannot be met. And therefore, getting labeled as a tier two student is a life sentence. Being labeled as needing a support tends to keep you there in that level of support. It's very frustrating. It's very mind numbing. 
And I'm not seeing new trainings that are working with people to identify the supports at each level. We're still just identifying who needs a support. We're not even understanding what support they need based on the screening data we have. We're just determining that they're in that 15% of students who would benefit from a support. (sighs) It's maddening and I'm frustrated by it and I'm just so sick of it. What I want to see is really simple. Instead of labeling students as a tier one or a tier two or a tier three, start labeling supports. Start sorting supports. And when you identify what a student needs, provide the support regardless of the tier. I think that's it. I think that's where I'm going to stop. I just can't reiterate enough that tiers are for supports. Tiers are not about people. Thank you for joining me today on the Learning to Change podcast. I hope you found our discussion insightful and inspiring. As we continue to explore the power of learning and its impact on change, remember that it's not about pushing yourself or others to change, but about embracing the process of learning. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. If you're ready to take your learning journey to the next level or bring about a culture of learning in your organization, join us in our free Modern Learners community. We are here to help you navigate the challenges and celebrate the successes that come with embracing learning and change. Simply go to modernlearners.community and join us today you'll find all the resources from today's show in there. Until next time, stay curious and remember, I'm not asking you to change, I'm asking you to learn. Learning to Change is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blaser. Marty Seafelt edits our episodes. Our production assistant is Emily Kilduff. And Sean McMullen is our executive producer. Learning to Change is recorded on the stolen land of the Sauk and Fox tribes, the Miami Nation, the Osati, Shakawi, Sioux, Ho-Chunk, and Kickapoo peoples.